Today I'm interviewing Giacomo Silardi. Hello everyone, uh, my name is Giacomo Silardi. Hi Giacomo. Do you mind telling us what you're specialized Hi. in? I'm an associate professor in the Department of uh, Political Science at uh, Luisa University in Rome. And uh, I teach and do research on uh, uh, behavioral economics. Behavioral economics uh, is uh, a subject uh, that puts together economic modeling with uh, empirical observations uh, from uh, the uh, behavioral sciences. So uh, psychology, cognitive psychology, social psychology, sociology, and uh, uh, so on and so forth. Behavioral sciences are extremely important to the current uh, situation because they tell us uh, uh, what are the determinants of human behavior, what are the kinds of behaviors that uh, we can expect uh, in uh, a given uh, situation. And so they are paramount uh, to try and identify the best strategy to promote those behavior that might uh, help us uh, alleviate and mitigate uh, this uh, emergency uh, and uh, uh, ways uh, to curb those behaviors that, that might, uh, on the other hand, exacerbate uh, the current uh, uh, COVID-19 emergency. Well, this is a perfect opportunity to ask you, because I think you're the right person, why is it that we have this, it won't happen to me mentality? So yes, we have uh, a tendency uh, to be over-optimistic. Uh, it's called optimism bias, uh, or it won't happen to me bias, uh, right? Or maybe uh, wishful thinking. And why do we have this tendency? Well, that's a, a good and big question. Maybe there's a evolutionary reasons why we have this tendency, because... Uh, being a pessimist is not great. Uh, you get depressed, uh, you don't uh, uh, act and uh, search and uh, uh, leave uh, as, uh, as much as, uh, you, uh, uh, as, as those who have uh, an optimist outlook for, for things. And so being biased towards optimism might have uh, proven advantageous in our uh, evolutionary past. Um, but uh, whatever the reason why uh, we are uh, over-optimistic, uh, we are. And, uh, uh, you know, there's ample evidence that that's the case. If you, if you ask uh, uh, people whether they're more or less likely uh, to experience in the future uh, some positive or negative event, more or less likely than, uh, say, your peers or the average person, well, most people will say I'm more likely uh, to experience a positive event than the average person. I'm less likely to experience a negative event uh, than uh, uh, the average person. So wishful thinking and optimism uh, bias. And this can be very bad in the current situation. This uh, might be the reason uh, why in the face uh, of uh, uh, this uh, a huge threat, uh, young people who tend in general to be uh, more risk-prone than uh, uh, older folks, uh, young people gather uh, at night to go for drinks and uh, do the movida thing that uh, uh, happens uh, in uh, the big uh, uh, and small cities in Italy. 
uh, it won't happen to me is uh, the, the, the key word in this kind of situations. I can go out uh, and yes, I know that there is a risk in going out and uh, there is a risk of getting infected, but for me, uh, it's, uh, it's a little less risky because uh, my friends uh, won't be infected because uh, uh, I'm uh, luckier, because uh, I'm over-optimistic, right? And uh, we have heard yesterday that this kind of uh, irresponsible behavior might be uh, the reason why uh, there uh, is uh, uh, going to be a spike in the, the uh, cases of uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, in the next few days in, uh, in this country. Why is it that when humans are faced with disaster, we tend towards over-optimism? Why are we over-optimistic in the face uh, of, a, of a disaster? This is uh, a, a different facet of uh, uh, over-optimism or uh, it won't happen to me uh, bias. Um, it's sometimes called normalcy uh, bias in, uh, uh, in the literature. And it's uh, um, a uh, display of... Uh, 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 lack of uh, responsiveness uh, in the face uh, of uh, uh, a disaster, in the face uh, of uh, a situation that is far from normal. Okay, We know that uh, the situation is uh, very abnormal, and yet we keep acting as if uh, uh, nothing is happening. This is... Uh, uh, you know, the people in the second tower of the War Trade Center calling home before uh, uh, getting out of the building. This is uh, uh, official uh, uh, unpreparedness uh, in the face of uh, uh, the mounting uh, threat uh, of flooding in uh, New Orleans uh, during Katrina. This uh, happens very often in the, in the face of... Uh, uh, disaster uh, that is uh, about to strike and we might know that uh, there are uh, good chances that uh, the disaster will ha happen, uh, still uh, we act uh, normally. And this, of course, uh, makes uh, uh, us unprepared and uh, uh, the disaster worse when it happens. Why was Italy so late, um, more or less about 30 days behind Wuhan, in responding um, so in part, uh, there was this uh, complacency uh, from the people due to our tendency to be complacent in the face of, uh, of, uh, of disasters. In part, uh, it's uh, also because uh, the kind of response uh, that is needed in uh, a situation like uh, this, it's uh, a, uh, what is known in the in the in the literature as a collective action problem um, it's a collective action problem because uh, my own uh, individual contribution uh, to mitigating uh, the the uh, situation is uh, a drop in the in the bucket uh, if uh, i am the only one that uh, stays home if i am the only one who practices social distancing and washes my hand and so on and so forth not much uh, is going to come out of that 
right? It needs to be a joint effort uh, of everybody. It needs to be a collective uh, action. But collective action creates uh, strong problems of coordination. I don't want to be the, the only one that uh, uh, does... Uh, um, takes uh, the, the required action. Uh, I want to take action if everybody else does that, right? Um, but how do we coordinate to start uh, if we wait for everybody else uh, to start it? So it's uh, uh, really the nature of uh, the protective measures that uh, make it difficult uh, uh, to start them unless there is uh, an authority uh, that uh, tells everybody you should do this, you should stay home, you should social distance, and so on and so forth. And, uh, of course, this is uh, uh, easier done in uh, uh, a regime that is uh, uh, a, a more authoritarian, uh, let's say, uh, regime like uh, the Chinese one, uh, and in which uh, the public uh, conscience of, uh, of, the, of the people uh, is uh, very much oriented towards uh, following uh, the orders that uh, the central authority uh, gives. So uh, that might explain why the response was uh, about 30 days faster than uh, uh, than uh, in uh, in China than uh, than it was uh, uh, than it was here, uh, and of course uh, we know from uh, epidemiological uh, models uh, that uh, this makes uh, uh, a huge difference. So explain to us, explain to the listener, why would it be important to have special laws and um, police in the streets like we have right now in Italy, as we're under a forced quarantine until April third. Um, a lot of people compare it to a police state, and that frightens them. Um, is it necessary to have police in the streets right now? So in this kind of collective action problems, it's important uh, that we have an, a central authority that uh, imparts rules and uh, sanctions uh, uh, behaviors that are non-compliant uh, with, uh, with the rules. Um, that is uh, crucial, but it is also important uh, that uh, uh, there are shared uh, norms within the society to support uh, these kind of behaviors. So it's important to have uh, police uh, in, the, in the street uh, uh, to make sure that uh, uh, people don't go out in groups and, uh, and that uh, you know, families don't go out grocery shopping uh, all together and so on and so forth. But it's also important uh, that uh, uh, these kind of uh, social norms of uh, social distancing and so on and so forth uh, uh, be enforced uh, in society by individuals. So we can all do our part uh, uh, both by staying at home, uh, both by complying uh, with uh, uh, the required uh, uh, behavior, 
and uh, by letting people know on social media, talking to friends, talking to uh, relatives, uh, and so on and so forth, uh, uh, by letting people know that we disapprove of uh, non-compliant uh, uh, behavior, that we sanction socially non-compliant behavior. People not wearing a, a mask that put others at risk if they are infected, and so on and so forth. Can we harness the power of social norms instead of having police? Social norms are a powerful driver of behavior. And uh, it's uh, important that we harness uh, the power of social norms in uh, this situation to make uh, uh, the best to promote uh, uh, compliant behavior and uh, the, the, the behaviors that might uh, uh, help us manage to mitigate uh, uh, the threat and uh, lessen the count of uh, uh, victims. But what are social norms? Okay, so there's an influential theory that has been uh, widely adopted, uh, uh, for instance, uh, in promoting behavior change through social norm change in, in uh, uh, developing countries uh, uh, through UNICEF um, by uh, Cristina Bicchieri, a, a social scientist and philosopher at University of Pennsylvania in uh, uh, Philadelphia. Uh, that uh, uh, says, uh, look, what uh, a social norm is uh, um, amounts to what people expect other people to do. All right. So, and there are two kinds of expectations that are really important. Uh, expectations about what other people do, so what I see other people doing, and expectations about what other people think should be done. Okay, these two kind of expectations, when they are in harmony, when they are coherent with one another, and when they are strong in the population, um, might uh, uh, be sufficient uh, uh, to install a social norm uh, in a in a in a given population. So it's important, uh, for instance. Uh, uh, that uh, uh, compliant behavior be shown. So I like it when I see these beautiful pictures uh, of uh, Florence uh, and uh, Rome and uh, 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 Milan uh, uh, empty. Uh, these beautiful squares that look like uh, the Chirico paintings uh, uh, completely uh, empty of people in uh, the afternoon. Uh, something that... Uh, We've never seen it. It's uh, very striking, but it also creates the right uh, expectations. There are no people around. Uh, there are no people around. So uh, this is uh, what people are doing. People are complying. I expect to, uh, people to, to comply. And uh, at the same time, it's important to create uh, uh, those expectations so that uh, this is what one should do. And this is what people think one should do. And so I appreciate when I see influencers and actors and singers and uh, uh, people who are followed by uh, many other people, people who have uh, uh, the trust of, uh, um, uh, of, uh, in, the, in the population, say that uh, uh, I stay home is the way to go. Right? That creates uh, the 
right kind of normative expectations. All right, and uh, as individuals uh, in, in our own uh, uh, lives, uh, we can make a difference. How by enforcing. Uh, these normative expectations. So if somebody tells us, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I had to walk my dog, but instead of uh, doing a short walk, uh, I walked for an hour. So I took advantage of that uh, uh, to, uh, to stay out. Uh, we should be disapproving and we should uh, say that uh, uh, clearly in order to establish uh, these uh, normative expectations. Right? But it's uh, uh, most important uh, that uh, the empirical expectations, the expectations of, com of actual compliance be in place because when there is uh, a tension between uh, what I see that people do and what uh, people say should be done, uh, what I see tends to drive our behavior more than what I uh, hear uh, other people think should be done. So if I see people on the street, even if uh, I know that people disapprove of that kind of behavior, the fact that there are people, groups of people in the street, uh, shows me that uh, it's okay not to be compliant. Right? So when uh, this kind of uh, uh, expectations uh, are in conflict, uh, we tend to do what we see. And uh, that's why it's really important uh, not to show violations like uh, in the media um, or in social media, but rather look uh, at uh, uh, compliant, uh, uh, compliant behavior instead. What does behavioral science tell us about all these important factors of behavior? You know, hand washing, social distancing, not touching your face. Um, so social distancing is uh, very much a matter of uh, social norms. Like, uh, uh, like I said before, it's a social interdependent uh, behavior in which uh, it's uh, uh, important that violations uh, uh, to the norm be sanctioned both uh, from a central authority and uh, from the community itself. Uh, when uh, a certain social behavior becomes uh, entrenched in the community, that's when uh, it, it, uh, uh, it becomes uh, really widespread and uh, robust uh, also to, uh, to disruptions. Uh, when it comes to hand washing, when it comes to face touching, yes, the, the, the um, uh, behavioral science uh, have uh, uh, a lot to do. And uh, hand washing, again, uh, can be supported uh, by social uh, forces, by the force of, uh, of social norms. Um, there are certain aspects that, of course, uh, are not really behavioral, but are more structural. Uh, for instance, uh, I may want uh, to wash my hands uh, often uh, when uh, I have to go out uh, uh, grocery shopping. But for that to be the case, uh, there needs to be a bathroom uh, uh, available or there needs to be at least a hand sanitizer available. That's not uh, a behavioral issue, that's uh, a structural issue that uh, uh, the store with the help possibly of uh, the of the you know the government uh, should be able to implement but uh, 
assuming that uh, the right uh, infrastructure uh, is uh, is in place well then uh, it's uh, again important uh, to enforce uh, certain norms like norms of hand washing so that uh, if you go uh, buy bread and uh, touch uh, things uh, without having uh, used uh, hand sanitizers uh, before visibly uh, you'd encounter disapproval uh, you'd encounter uh, disapproval from uh, the people uh, around you um, but besides uh, these social drivers of behavior there's also psychological individual uh, drivers of behavior. So uh, looking not at social psychology but at uh, individual uh, psychology, uh, we know that uh, feedback is really important. So I would really uh, love it if there was a, a, an app uh, that uh, would be able to tell me uh, when any time I'd be touching my face. Think about how many times in the last hour you've touched your face and realized ah i just touched my face again all right that'd be really useful because uh, one of the things that uh, the behavioral science tell us uh, is that uh, our attention uh, as uh, humans is very limited uh, we may think that uh, we are on top of things but we are on top uh, of a minuscule fraction of the things that happen uh, around us even in our you know f field of vision so if our attention is uh, so uh, reduced and uh, so limited, uh, we need ways uh, to bring important things to our attention. So some feedback, uh, um, some feedback uh, mechanism uh, to know if and when I'm touching my face, that would be such a, uh, such a great uh, invention uh, to, uh, to find. Uh, and if that's uh, not uh, possible or it's not there yet, uh, still we could uh, use uh, uh, reminders and, uh, uh, for instance, uh, put uh, boxes of tissues whenever, uh, wherever we tend to sit down and so wherever it's uh, more likely that we spend uh, 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 more time in front of the computer, in front of the TV, uh, at uh, the, the the on the coffee table and so on and so forth, so that uh, uh, the side of the box would be a reminder uh, to use a tissue instead of our fingers uh, to uh, touch our eyes or nose or mouth. If as humans we respond more to positive feedback and rewards and less to bad news and fear, how can we encourage society to change their behavior in a case like this? What positive feedback and rewards could parents offer their children, for example, for washing their hands or covering their mouth properly when coughing and sneezing? What can we do to uh, help kids uh, wash their hands more frequently or touch uh, their face uh, less uh, frequently? Well, um, something that works for kids as well as uh, for grown-ups is uh, uh, making uh, uh, sure that uh, there is a, an uninterrupted uh, streak of uh, uh, a certain desirable behavior. So let's say we want uh, uh, to wash our hands uh, uh, every time uh, 
uh, we go out or every time we touch uh, something that came uh, from uh, outside uh, or in general, let's say, every uh, hour. Uh, so we could uh, set up uh, a board in which uh, uh, every hour we have uh, to uh, mark uh, an X if we washed our hands and, and we uh, do not mark uh, the board if uh, we didn't wash our hands. And uh, uh, after a few hours of uh, uh, marking the board, of having a streak of uh, access when uh, uh, we have uh, washed our hands uh, regularly, uh, missing an hour uh, will be more painful to us. Uh, we will care about our streak, uh, our winning streak, and uh, uh, we will be more motivated uh, to actually uh, uh, continue the streak. And uh, who has the longest streak might uh, win uh, some uh, reward, like a reduction in chores or things like that. Um, competition, of course, works uh, uh, works a lot. Right? So uh, trying to have uh, uh, the longest streak, uh, even uh, without material rewards, uh, might be a sufficient uh, uh, driver of behavior, like... Uh, a uh, uh, immaterial uh, force uh, to promote uh, um, uh, the desired uh, behavior. And, uh, uh, and of course, uh, if one touches their face, um, that might cost you an X on your streak, that might cost uh, you a badge that you might uh, win uh, you know, every uh, time you reach a streak of... Uh, uh, 10 uh, uh, axes and so on and so forth. So uh, these are simple ideas that uh, might uh, be uh, helpful uh, in, uh, um, in the house. More importantly, and I think more difficult, what positive feedback and rewards can governments give to citizens to encourage them to use smart practices? What are the positive rewards uh, that governments uh, uh, can uh, give people in order to foster the desired behaviors? That is uh, a great question, and uh, I'm not uh, uh, exactly sure uh, what the positive rewards might be. I think that the role of uh, government uh, uh, might uh, have to be uh, more about uh, negative uh, sanctions, so sanctions for violations of behavior. Um, in at least uh, in the lockdown case, uh, that is uh, uh, currently the case uh, in Italy. It's important uh, that uh, we know that uh, if we are uh, out uh, and uh, we don't have a, a valid reason to be out, uh, it's important that uh, we uh, have uh, uh, a belief that uh, that might cost us in terms of uh, social reputation if uh, someone. Uh, uh, sees us and uh, reproaches us, uh, but also materially if uh, we uh, could get uh, a fine from the police or worse. Uh, it's very important uh, that uh, the desired behavior be supported uh, by sanctions uh, that accompany those normative expectations that I was mentioning before. So the idea that uh, people know that others... Uh, uh, think that certain behaviors are off-limits and certain behaviors uh, are okay. And uh, I can go grocery shopping 
and I can take my dog out for 10 minutes, but I cannot uh, take uh, a long walk in the park or on the beach with my dog, and I can't go with my entire family grocery shopping, and uh, uh, so on and so forth. Thank you so much for giving me your time today, Giacomo, on behalf of me, um, and I hope the listeners will agree that this was useful and I hope that they've learned something from this today. When you think about it, it's pretty amazing how difficult it is to change our behavior and how much of that is based on our beliefs and our emotional reactions to the threat of having to change our behavior. Why is it a threat to change our behavior, especially when the threat isn't changing your behavior, but not changing your behavior? <laughs>